Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you apply to a particular school being highlighted in a given episode, you should listen to all of them, as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Don't forget to visit our website, www.collegeadmissionstalk.com, or the show notes of each episode to access the alphabetical list of all the colleges available with the related audio link to the right of each school. The alphabetical list provides you with on-demand access to all of the episodes so that you may listen whenever you wish. And if you want to receive links to episodes before they are released on the podcast, along with other related resources, please fill out the email opt-in form also available on our website and in the show notes of each episode. Lastly, please email me with any questions or comments at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure today to introduce to you a panel from the UC schools. Help me welcome Leticia Garay, who's the Associate Director of Transfer Education at UC Davis. Leticia was with us back in episode 71, where we spoke specifically about UC Davis. So thank you again for being here, Leticia. We also have Ashley Swangler, who was with us for episode 75, talking specifically about UC Riverside. Ashley is the international and out-of-state admissions specialist, again, at UC Riverside. Today, I also want to welcome Jua Howard, who is the assistant director of admissions at UC Berkeley. We also have Jasmine Toulet who is the non-resident admissions representative for UC Santa Cruz. And we also have Michelle Burns, who did episode 89 specific to UC Irvine. Michelle is the senior admissions counselor and regional recruiter, again, for UC Irvine. Welcome, everybody. It's such an honor to have you here today. The point of the podcast is a need was identified where people needed to hear more information straight from the admissions office. And today, I'm so happy as we don't have one, but we have five representatives from the UC schools. So thank you again, everyone, for being here. The format, of course, is that I will ask a question and call on one of the representatives to answer the question. So let's start with our first question. I want to welcome again, Jua from UC Berkeley. Jua, can you provide an overview of the UC system for our listeners, highlighting what makes it unique and differentiates it from other university systems? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, I always feel like the, the beauty of the University of California system is that it very much has that global recognition. It is still considered the world's leading uh, research public university system. And I think students really can take full advantage of really the branding of that and what that means when it comes to the quality of the education and the opportunities. Uh, the system has over 280,000 students. Uh, it has over 270,000 faculty and staff. 
And I really stress that number just because it means that a lot of people are contributing to the system. A lot of people's lives are impacted by it every single day. Um, and that system itself is split into nine undergraduate campuses throughout the state of California. We've also got a 10th campus, UC San Francisco, which is more just strictly graduate level programs. We even have a kind of official, non-official 11th campus with uh, UC Hastings, a law school. But for my incoming freshmen and, and our transfer students, the nine undergraduate campuses is really where they would be concerned. And of that Going back to the reputation of that of those nine campuses, six out of the nine are in the top 11 uh, kind of public schools in the country. So, again, speaking to the quality of the experience. And one thing that we always stress to our students is that when they're looking for campuses, we always talk about looking at the distinctions and what are the variants in different campuses to find your best fit. The UC system really gives students a really a lot of um, options when it comes to campus sizes. Um, so you have smaller campuses like UC Merced, where you have maybe around 8,000 students. But you also have like a UCLA, which has over 46,000 students. Uh, and then the average across the system is roughly around 25,000 students. So again, you, you really can, students can really dig in to see, okay, I may want a smaller campus, I may want to explore that one, or I may want a large campus experience, but you have all of that covered throughout the, the UC system. And then our students are coming even though we are a state system per se, again, we have global recognition. And so we have students representing all 50 U.S. states plus U.S. territories and around 140 different countries. So that is very much a part of the diversity of our campus um, when we talk about even just geographic diversity. Um, we want to make sure, even though we want to make sure that the California population is reflected, even that population is global. So that touches upon so many other different communities around the world. Um, and then one thing we're very proud of is that our retention, one-year retention rate actually for the system is 92%. And that also speaks volumes about students loving being at AUC campus and really the experience that they're having and connecting uh, with their fellow students and being part of that community. And then as a system, even though we're very distinct in, on, for each of the different campuses, we also have a lot of shared resources that all of our students can take advantage of. So one that I always talk about is the UC library system. Uh, is the largest university research library system in the world with over 100 different libraries. What I like is that you could be at UC Santa Cruz and need a, a book or something of that nature that may be at UC Berkeley, UC San Diego, and you can tap into that since the system itself works together. So that'll benefit all of our students. In addition, I mentioned all of us are research one institution. So there's a lot of ways that students can really dig in and that academic exploration and be involved in research, whether they are a mechanical engineering student or they're an English student, <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> over to all different disciplines. And we want them to really tap into that. And then we also have programs like our UCDC program, which is actually one of my favorite programs. It's an internship program in Washington, D.C., um, and it's where students can intern on Capitol Hill, maybe Greenpeace, FBI, CIA, and so forth. And it's offered to students at from all nine campuses. So it's a really wonderful way that students can really start meeting students across the UC system, but also tap into the internship possibilities. And then a major question that we get a lot of times, all of us do, is really about study abroad. And one way that we work together is through our UC Educational Abroad Program. This program offers literally over 300 different programs in over 40 countries. And as a system, we have working relationships with over 100 different universities around the world. 
students can go through study abroad programs. So even if they go to UC Berkeley, they may go through a program that's offered through um, UC Riverside or UC Irvine. So that's another benefit as a shared resource and then supporting our students through throughout the system so that whatever they, however they identify, whatever communities, there's resources that we all have on our campuses from resources for first-generation college students, uh, multicultural centers, uh, supporting students with disabilities, supporting students who are part of the LGBTQIA plus community. And again, that's all nine of us. So we really want to make sure that you are thriving if you are on one of our campuses. And then hands down, ending, wrapping up is alumni success. We have over 2 million alumni around the world. And our average six-year graduation rate is around 83%. So our students do very well. And that's in contrast to like a 58% graduation rate across the U.S. So our students do very well graduating. And then also we're looking at what are students making when they get out of, out of college? That's usually one of the top questions. Can I get a job? <laughs> Can I afford to, you know, have, you know, a, a good quality of life? And what our students do, we are known actually to have kind of rank in the top for graduate salaries from public universities. And actually for our students, two to 10 years after graduation, they completely double their salaries. So wow. again, that's another part of, again, the return on investment when you come to a UC campus, what are you getting out of the experience? So that's a lot of different things I feel like kind of that make the UC system a really distinct um, and effective uh, community for our students. And I always, you know, kind of throw a lot of those things out to hope the students may look into maybe attending one of our institutions. Well, that's a great overview, great return on your investment. You're a research one institution. That's all of the campuses. Obviously, there are study abroad opportunities and internship opportunities. You're serving 280,000 students, which, of course, is a lot of people. That's astonishing. Your campus size, you talked about the average being at about 25,000. And you talked about your global reach. You cover each of the 50 United States, but also 140 countries. So you mentioned your diversity, which is incredible. And I'm also yes. glad that you mentioned the retention rate of 92%. National average is at about 70%. So this, of course, is a testament to the great work that you do in admissions to make sure that you have the right students on your campus, but perhaps equally as important, the work that you do as a system to make sure that the students are happy on your campuses and want to come back year after year. And of course, over 2 million alumni. So network opportunities abound. So Jua, thank you so much for that introduction. The next question is going to be for Michelle. Michelle, the UC system, of course, consists of several campuses, as Jua mentioned, each with its own distinct personality and, of course, their course offerings and so much more. How does the admissions process differ across different UC campuses, and what should applicants consider when selecting which UC campuses to apply to? Thank you, John. This is a great question, uh, and I think a good place to start is dispelling a few myths uh, that students often have about applying to AUC or several UCs, uh, which is completely understandable um, because first off, and I know we'll talk about it more, but we do have a separate application for the entire UC system. Uh, so we know many of you or for you parents or counselors, your, your students have um, applied on the Common App. They've applied um, on Coalition App. They've applied to singular applications to schools, and now they get to fill out another application. Uh, for us. So it is an additional application that they need to fill out. And all nine of the UC campuses are on there and available. 
what uh, what happens is all of that information that you input gets sent to all of us. Uh, so a couple of myths to dispel is that um, we are not concerned if you apply to multiple UCs. We expect you to. Uh, we share all, all the same values. As Stu had just discussed, there's so many wonderful opportunities at all the UCs. So we assume that you will be applying to multiple UCs. If you're only applying to one, that's great. Um, but you know, definitely uh, don't worry about applying to multiple UCs. We don't look on there and see that you've applied to multiple and think, oh, it's going to hurt your chances at one campus because you applied to another. Uh, another myth to dispel is the thought that we all sit and review applications together. Uh, I'm sure that would be fun and there would be a lot of coffee involved, uh, but we would never get through them. So each campus does have its own um, institutional priorities that may be looking to build certain majors or schools. Uh, that might be having, you know, um, in-state versus out-of-state international. Um, there might be certain numbers that campuses are trying to meet. Uh, so each, each campus will have its own priorities when they are reviewing application. So what happens to your application is it comes in through, through the UC Application Center, and then each of the campuses that you apply to, it gets sent out to all of those campuses. Another thing that we can talk about here is what it means to be eligible for a UC versus what it means to be selected at a certain campus. So at the UC system in general, if you are an out-of-state student, there's a minimum GPA of a 3.4 um, that we look at. Now, what if you're here and you're saying, oh my gosh, but I think I have a 3.2, but I have this really great story and I have some reasons behind it. Should I not apply? No, you should absolutely still apply um, because you might be considered at several campuses um, with you know all the other great things about you. And we'll talk further on, I'm sure, about ways to distinguish yourself on the application. Um, so go ahead and still apply. Um, but that is what it means to be eligible. The minimum is a 3.4. Now, this won't automatically get you admitted to every UC either. So every UC, as you talk to your admissions counselor at each campus, you'll find that there's a different um, average GPA at different UCs. Um, you know, for UCI, I know our average GPA is usually about a 3.9 to 4.1. And sometimes I tell students that and they go, great. And sometimes I tell students that and their eyes get very big and they look really scared. And I say, take a deep breath. Um, there's a lot of wonderful things about you that we want to learn. Um, so those are some important things to consider that, yes, you might be eligible for a UC, but you might want to find out what is the general average GPA of an admitted student into the UC system um, in general, and then what's the average for the individual campus that you're looking at, because each campus does have a different level of selectivity. Um, some of the campuses are much more selective and then others have a much um, broader acceptance range, you know, and that goes from anywhere from about 15% acceptance to 80% acceptance. And this is a great place to really do your homework and find out, you know, if I want to apply to Berkeley, a lot of students want to apply to Berkeley and there's amazing <laughs> students. What are the things about Berkeley that I love? And is that echoed at other campuses? Is Santa Cruz also up in Northern California, um, you know, a, a similar type of vibe that I might want to have? Or maybe, um, you know, Davis has a great program or, you know, Riverside has a has a program. And I really love that they're close to Disneyland as well. Um, so it's really <laughs> great to expand those campuses that you're looking at. So that's one thing is look at the selectivity of campuses and where you kind of fit in there. There's never going to be a guarantee that you'll be admitted to a campus, 
But if you're looking at a UC, you really want to expand your opportunities there to come into the UC system. So that's one way. The other thing to really consider when you're looking at um, how each campus looks at different applicants is um, your major as well. Some of the UCs do admit by school. Some do admit by major. Some are not at all concerned about it. Uh, and again, I know that's a lot of homework on the student's part, but you really want to go ahead and think about that. Ask, you know, I, I'm unsure what I want to do. Does that matter to you all? Or, hey, I'm really interested in computer science. Uh, should I apply directly into that major? Or I want to do business. What major would I apply into? Um, some majors are more selective than others. Um, I know at Santa Cruz, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jasmine, but if you want to be a computer science major, you have to apply into that as an incoming first year. That's the only major that you have to apply into at Santa Cruz. Any other major you can um, declare at another time. You know, at UCI, we don't require you to apply into a certain major coming in first year, but certain programs like our business administration, your best bet will be applying in your first year. Um, so that's another thing to really consider is, you know, what is the selectivity of a campus? And then what major are you looking at as well um, or are you wanting to not be bound by a specific major? And then is that a good idea when looking at those campuses too? Um, so all really good things to consider and bring into the mix when you're looking at those campuses that you're applying to. And then each campus will review slightly differently. Um, so some, they are just looking at what are your GPA? You know, are you meeting these certain criteria? Um, Many of us do review holistically, which means we look across the board at what are you involved in? We're looking at your personal insight questions. You know, all of us do look at those, but certain campuses might weigh different parts of the application heavier. Um, one last thing that I'll say is we don't expect you to distinguish which campus you want in the application. In fact, I would I would uh, not do that. You know, I wouldn't say, and I want to go to San Diego over everyone else, especially uh, if five other campuses are reading that. So unlike other schools, there's not going to be a, why us? Why UCI? Why UC Davis? Why UC Riverside? Um, we don't expect you to tell us why you want that specific campus. Uh, so those are a couple of things to keep in mind when looking at the selectivity across the UC system. I want to welcome back Sean Patel, who is the founder and CEO of Prep Expert. He's a Shark Tank entrepreneur making a deal with Mark Cuban back in 2016. And he's also a board certified dermatologist who received a perfect score on his SAT. Sean, welcome back. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back, John. So I just wanted to share with all your listeners real quick that we have an amazing partnership with the College Admissions Process Podcast, and we have a really special offer for all of your listeners. So for any listener who wants to enroll their student into one of our prep expert SAT courses, ACT courses, or one-on-one -on -one tutoring programs, you can get 30% off just for being a listener of the College Admissions Process Podcast. All you need to do is put in the promo code College Talk, one word, just College Talk, and that'll give you 30% off all Prep Expert SAT courses, ACT courses, or one on one tutoring packages. Make sure you use the link in the show notes of the College Admissions Process Podcast.
Thank you, Sean. We really appreciate it. To our listeners, as an affiliate partner with Prep Expert, I want to be transparent with you that for every purchase made using our coupon code, which is College Talk, the College Admissions Process Podcast will receive a small commission from Prep Expert. But rest assured that we only promote programs that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. For more information, please see the Prep Expert affiliate partnership link in the show notes. And now let's get back to the show. Well, thank you so much. Another great overview. And I really appreciate how you talked about the myth about applying to multiple UCs. This is not an issue, students and parents. In fact, it's something that is very much expected within the UC system. So thank you again, Michelle. The next question will be for Leticia. With many qualified applicants each year, what are some common qualities or characteristics that UC admissions offices look for in prospective students during the review process? And can you offer some tips and advice to applicants on how to make their applications stand out and even showcase their strengths effectively? Yeah, thanks, John. I think this is the million dollar question, right? We're <laughs> uh, insert tuition dollars here, right? Uh, so we are going to give you the same answer. And I know that when students hear this and parents alike, they're like, oh, this answer again. But <laughs> we are a university system that values students who are well-rounded. Um, and the question back at us when we get this is, what does that even mean? Right. And I think the best way to answer that is giving a little bit more information on how we review applications. So I'm going to try to make this as summarized as possible, but also very insightful for everyone listening on what it looks like. Overall, as a system, we are going to be using a comprehensive review. So we have 13 different factors that we're going to look and pinpoint across the application. The thing that is different, and this goes to Michelle's point of doing your research for each of the UC campuses, is how those factors are going to be reviewed. So comprehensive review says we have to look at these factors, and then some of our campuses, based off of the priorities, will be looking at how those factors play into the priorities that they're looking for admissions, right? So for example, UC Davis and other campuses use holistic review. And for that, when we look at the 13 different factors, we're not putting a specific weight on any of the 13 factors. It really is dependent on the context in which students are coming from and the opportunities that they're taking advantage of. So the best way that I like to frame it when we're looking at how are we reviewing applications is really how is a student taking advantage of the opportunities available to them? And we're not comparing students from student to student or even institution to institution, which is a really important part. Some students are thinking, yes, we're looking at GPAs and averages across the campuses. How do I compare with that? You know, those averages can give you a little bit of insight as to like the selectivity of certain things. But in most cases, those are not going to be cutoffs for how the institution is selecting students. These are numbers that are selected after the fact, after we've admitted our class. So always look at applying because you never know. Um, I know for specifically our campus, we do admit 25% of our students below what the averages look like. Um, and that's because of the 13 different factors that we're going to be looking at in the review process. 
So hopefully that also clarifies a few different admission myths in terms of how we're looking at it. Um, I know that it's not as satisfying to hear like the secret formula because there isn't a secret formula, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, As much as we are a research-based institution and we have a lot of smart people who work in chemistry, there's just nothing to create a formula for the perfect student and the perfect application to submit to all of the campuses. That being said, when it comes to tips for applying, we do want to make sure that the student is utilizing all of the opportunities that they have within the application. So the personal insight questions or the PIQs, which are our written component of the application, is really going to be the most significant, I would say, outside of what is already provided in the academic history for the student to advocate for sharing their story to us. Um, Sometimes students forget we're strangers. And as much as we know about the student experience and we've gone through our own student experiences, we don't know everything that's out there. And we can't possibly imagine all the amazing things that students are participating in or all of the circumstances that they've overcome. So the personal insight questions are going to be an essential part for students to advocate because we also don't have interviews with the UC process. So using that space is going to be important. In addition to that, um, our personal insight questions, we actually have eight different prompts and students choose four. What that means is that the prompts that the student chooses should really be directly related to their experiences. I know, again, trying to find that secret formula, it's so easy to fall into that rabbit hole, but (laughs) you don't, as a student, want to pick a PIQ prompt that is not relevant to your experience because ultimately it's not going to help you advocate for yourself. We're not looking for specific answers and we're not looking for specific questions to be answered through certain prompts, right? Um, So I always give the example, I was an extreme introvert as a high schooler, and I wouldn't even dream of writing about the leadership experience because, you know, truthfully, I didn't have too much of that leadership experience. I was a total bookworm. So if I were to (laughs) choose that as a student now, I wouldn't have much more to say, right? I, I could try to incorporate some experience that might be loosely related, but it wouldn't be as strong as if I were to choose another PIQ that had something more directly related to what I was passionate about or experiences that I had gone through. So PIQs, very important in picking the right prompts, very important in picking things that you are not necessarily excited for, but can talk about. And also being able to advocate for yourself, emphasis on yourself. Um, So we love hearing about your influences in life, like your parents or your family. But this is ultimately about yourself because you're the one as a student applying to our institutions, not everybody else who's influenced you, right? Um, Added on to that, though, I would say that sometimes those PIQs, as broad and as open-ended as they are designed to be, they don't always allow for all types of circumstances and experiences to be explained. So we do have additional comment sections in the application. We actually have two. We have one right after the educational history. That piece is usually where we tell a lot of our out-of-state and international students to give us more context about the school systems. 
Is there something interesting about the grading system? I know that on the East Coast, particularly, some institutions have really rigorous coursework, but they aren't counted as AP or even IB or honors courses, right? So in this case, providing that context helps us as a complete stranger understand that, you know, English 10 may sound like a very general English course you need to graduate, but it might actually be the most extensive English course provided in that year. Uh, So that section is very important to provide that. And then we also have an additional comment section after the PIQs, the four that you as a student have selected to write on. And that would be for you to share anything that's more personal or anything that you feel like doesn't fit into the PIQs. So um, it really is, again, up to you. It's not an opportunity to select a fifth PIQ as ambitious as you may be. (laughs) And as much as we appreciate the extra effort, um, this really is to explain any nuances that you feel the rest of the application did not address. Okay, so it's very open-ended. Again, up to you to share as much or as little, but is space that is available for um, you as a student to provide additional information. So those would be my biggest pieces. I think, again, we don't have an interview process. We don't get to meet with you as a student face-to-face in really a lot of scenarios. Um, We may see you at an event. We may go to your school. um, But we see a lot of students. And so you really want to stand out by being your advocate. And I think it's a really foundational experience moving forward in the student experience at the university level and also in the rest of life to be able to advocate for yourself. Um, And all that to say that the application does open starting August 1st. Uh, So I always tell students, like, the earlier you can start that and kind of get used to the idea that this is, you know, an important part of the admissions process, the earlier you can kind of get over all that fear and anxiety you may have about even starting to write about your experience. And the stronger those PIQs and responses will be when you're talking about your experiences, because you've had a little bit more time to talk to other people and reflect, and it doesn't seem that scary anymore. Well, thank you so much for the insightful look into your overall review practice. You talked about the different factors, 13 of them. You spoke a lot about the PIQs and be mindful soon as to pick the right one specific to you. You also mentioned that that you don't have an interview process as part of your overall review, which is great. And I did want to switch to Jasmine to talk a little bit about your test blind policy. As many people know, the UC system made headlines by adopting a test blind policy. So Jasmine, can you explain what test blind means and how it impacts the admissions process at the UC schools? Yes, thank you. So because the University of California likes to be a little bit different, we actually use the term (laughs) test-free. So the test-free basically just means that we do not consider test scores as part of the admissions decision or for awarding scholarships. So as Leticia said, it is um, a process where we do take a holistic approach. So the test scores are not um, a factor in the review process anymore, which I know scares a lot of students and definitely a lot of parents, (laughs) especially if you're coming from outside of California. You wonder, you know, what is it that we're looking for? But it is the holistic review that we're focusing on more so than um, the test scores. That being said, if students do choose to submit their test scores as part of the application, like it, it isn't used for the admissions process, but it can be used to fulfill some minimum requirements 
for eligibility or even placement after a student has been enrolled. So it does vary from UC to UC in how we might use this information, but it is, again, none of us use it for the admissions process. So it can be helpful for students to hear that as they're starting this admissions process because a lot of students have that nervousness of taking this, the exams before actually submitting their application. But at least in this case, it isn't necessarily a factor. And if they want to use it after they have enrolled at one of our campuses, then that can be used towards either the UC entry-level writing or one of the subject area requirements that we might have as an enrolled student, but not during the admissions process itself. So Students can be at ease during the process. It's one less thing to stress about as you're going through the fall um, time when you're applying to multiple UCs or applying to other universities or colleges around. Well, that's great insight. So again, students, they do not use tests as part of the application review process, but it might be for entry-level writing. So it's very important to check the websites to make sure that the tests are not being used in other parts. And by the way, I always put the Office of Undergraduate Admissions. In this case, it'll be for the entire UC system. If anybody has any of the links related to what we're talking about that you want me to put in the show notes, of course, just send it to me and we'll make it available to the students and their parents. Now, Jasmine, I'm going to follow up on a test blind question to you. And Leticia touched upon many of them. But Jasmine, with the test blind policy in place, what criteria do admissions offices now prioritize when reviewing applications within the UC system? And how can students ensure they present a holistic and compelling application? Again, any further insights would be greatly appreciated. Yes. So, The best way to kind of think of the application is to kind of split it in three different parts. So we are looking at the academic achievements as well as the extracurricular achievements and the responses to life challenges that the students have. So if a student wants to kind of break down the application in three parts, there isn't one part that is more important than the other. As Leticia said, all three parts are very, very important because it gives us a good look into the context of that student, what that student has been offered, what um, in terms of academics, in terms of extracurriculars, what involvements they've had outside of the classroom, things like that are all areas that we're looking at. And of course, the personal inside questions. So all of this does give us that context that we're looking for. With academics, we are looking not only at the GPA, but we're also looking at um, the different what we consider A through G requirements, but for out of state, we are somewhat flexible with these depending on the campus that you're applying for. But these are subject area requirements like in English, math, science, history, foreign language, arts, uh, college prep courses, things like that. Any students that are taking like honors courses, advanced placement, uh, IB curriculum, all of that is taken into consideration because as Leticia mentioned, there are a lot of different offerings for out-of-state schools. So we do take all of that into consideration depending on your academic program. So many of our students, our most competitive students are taking above and beyond the minimum requirements. So we do like to see that. We also want to look at the context of what your school has offered or if your school does not offer a lot of APs. That's all information that we would want to know in that additional comment section after the education part, because we want to get that understanding of what that student has had available and what they've actually taken advantage of. 
a lot of students might not realize that the quality of their senior year program is also very important to us. So we want to see what types of classes you're planning to take as well. Um, what are those planned courses? And if you are taking any of like transferable college courses, either your junior or your senior year, all of that is information that we want to know, especially because it gives us the ability to maybe use that towards um, not only your admissions decision, but also towards if you're applying for a proposed major at one of our particular institutions, we will get that context of like what you would bring to that program. Because as Michelle mentioned, some of us might have slightly different priorities when it comes to reviewing that application. So although we're all looking at the academics, we might um, consider certain classes that you've taken more towards that proposed major. So that's one thing to keep in mind. In addition to the academics, we're also looking at your extracurricular achievements. So what I want to mention here is that we are looking not only for traditional, but also non-traditional involvements. So it doesn't necessarily mean only clubs or organizations sponsored by the school. It could also mean things that you are doing outside of the classroom. Like if you have family responsibilities, if you're taking care of family members, if you are um, involved in any like cultural or um, religious programs outside of the classroom, all of that is really good context into what you have been committed to outside of just being a student. That's another really big part of that application that we're looking at. So extracurricular achievements, any honors or awards that you have received as well, that's all kind of grouped into the extracurricular activities. And there is also um, the last part, which is the personal insight questions that that Leticia has already mentioned. So I won't get fully into that, but that is a really big um, area that gives us a little bit more context into any life challenges that you've experienced. How have you addressed them? How have you grown as a student over the past couple of years? So all those three parts are a really big part of that holistic review, especially now since we're not using the standardized testing as part of um, our admissions decision. Well, I appreciate you giving us that additional insight into your overall review. And I love how you talked about the A through G requirements, which is something that all schools look at. However, it's the UC system that calls it the A through G requirements, which is your subject area requirements. And I like how you talked about the fact that you like to see students going above and beyond whatever the minimum requirement is. So for example, if your state requires three years of mathematics, but you take that fourth year or beyond, obviously, students, that's going to help you in that holistic review process. So, Jasmine, again, we thank you for that. And I want to welcome back Ashley. Ashley, this question is for you. What are some common mistakes applicants make during the application process and how can they avoid them? Well, thank you first so much, John, for having us here on The Cap. We are so excited to be here. <laughs> and what's really, I think, important for all of you listeners out there, whether you're students kind of navigating this process or support systems such as parents, guardians, counselors, it takes a village, right? Uh, but I think for students in particular, this can be a very overwhelming and stressful process. And so I first hope you take comfort in the fact that we are all human beings who are reading your applications and we are all looking for reasons to admit you. We're looking at your application in a positive way. So when you're sitting down to write those PIQs or fill in your academic history section or provide that additional context, just kind of know that going forward, that this is a very positive experience. Um, you're doing something for yourself. You're investing yourself, even in that moment that you're starting to fill it out. 
I would say in terms of academic history, I love that we highlighted A through G. We've highlighted some of those differences in learning communities across the country and the world because it may be difficult for any of us admissions readers to know what's going on if we're lacking context for the curriculum. We read a lot of applications, obviously, from the state of California. So for most (laughs) folks coming from in-state, we're going to be very familiar with what you're working with. Not necessarily, though, because there are some schools kind of transitioning over to the mastery transcript. And there's a lot of innovation going on right now in secondary schools. Um, So we do recognize that is coming and we have ways to read them and to evaluate them in a very equitable way for students. But it is important if you kind of are outside that realm of like a lettered grading system, very standard, what we call A through G, which are your core subjects in high school. This would be something that we need to know about. So that first kind of mistake, number one, is not providing enough context about your curriculum. I think also just application um, filling out, very important that you're accurate in your information. So it's really important not to go off of memory. Requesting that unofficial transcript early on in your you know year that you're applying. So that would be like right now we have rising seniors or seniors that are already starting out or even folks who have taken gap years like Right now, if you're thinking about filling out by November 30th, this would be the time to get those unofficial documents so that way you're fully ready and you're not rushed to be filling that out because we do cross-reference your self-reported information once you're enrolling. And I would hate to see a student rescinded because you made some mistakes. Within reason, we're understanding, but it's also we require very accurate information in order to provide the best admission experience for everyone, really. So that's extremely important. I think utilizing that academic history for those purposes is great. Also, if you have any gray areas in terms of academic disruptions, I know we're kind of at the tail end of folks who have experienced the high school portion of their lives in the COVID-19 pandemic. <laughs> so these are all things that you can kind of out, you know, outline in that section. But this is also not a place where it is required to fill it out or even um, recommended if there's nothing that's really questionable about your experience. So, you know, there's an activities and awards section where you talk about all your accolades and everything great that you've done. But this is really reserved for us in that piece of context that will really help us understand that 360 human being that you are. The next section is your personal insight questions. And my colleagues have done a really great job here of kind of talking through the mechanics and exactly what is included in those. I will just say to echo them, very important that you take the time to differentiate the process from any other types of applications that you're filling out. These are for my out-of-state and international folks who may be applying to other types of school systems across the United States. A personal statement is very different than a PIQ. Um, think of it as your interview. I see, in fact, I just worked a workshop recently where we were talking about the difference between a very famous application and the other famous UC application and just what is that strategy? It is I statements. It is utilizing it as a written interview 
proportion, which is very different than kind of crafting that very um, creative introduction into a middle and an end, right? Where we see, we hear a whole story in that prime, very small real estate of a PIQ. You don't have time to that, you know, to do that. So get to the point immediately because that's what's going to help you stand out. The next section would be kind of your activities. And I just have some very brief things that I see for students that, quite frankly, I think we're all guilty of this at times. Like we don't give ourselves enough credit. Um, so it's really important that you're kind of listing things out in a way that really prioritizes those things that you want us to know. Let's just say you happen to be lucky enough to be elected to a student leadership position, for instance. <laughs> like we want to know vice president, comma, this organization. Like being able to really see that right away helps us as readers who quite frankly are reading thousands of applications in a season that's going to jump out to me as opposed to the acronym of your club that we don't even know what it means, right? So it's really important too to spell out any organizations. Um, don't make assumptions. I love how Leticia put like, we're strangers. So we don't know um, what we don't know, right? So it's really important to not make assumptions just as we're trying to not make assumptions about you as well. That That's definitely a two-way street in any admission process. So that hopefully will be really helpful to you in that regard. And you know, if you've done a lot of activities, utilize that space. Like definitely you want in any part of the application to be loud and proud about who you are. So don't leave any stone unturned. Super important. And finally, going on to that kind of last um, section, which is like additional comments. Biggest pitfall I see is like somebody copy pasting like a personal statement in there. And it's just like, to be honest, as application readers, if I can kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, it is a little bit like, oh, now we have to read this. And it's like not really adding. Is it really adding any value to your application? You have to ask yourself that question. It might feel that way because you worked really hard on it for another application process, but it's not a part like we would have that in our application if we wanted it. So it's really important for you as applicants and as folks mentoring students through this application process to really go, do I need this? Like really ask yourself that question. Obviously, if you've gone through something tremendous in both a positive or a negative way that's really impacted you and there was no other space to write about it, great place. But again, we're not going to be going, well, only the students who had that and wrote it in the additional comments are going to be the ones that we're looking at. So don't don't think, overthink that section. If there's something extraordinary, good or bad that you need to share, great. If not, it is really okay to skip it. And then lastly, um, you know, I've kind of been working on this session for a conference about mental health in the application process. And this is something that is really crucial. I think a lot of students rightfully so, because it's in our culture as an American society to put a lot of pressure on this process. You already get it at school where you have to feel like you're involved in like a hundred things and do really well. And just know that like you need to do what you can in your capacity, but also enjoy this time. It's a really big mistake to kind of wish this time away or really be too busy that you can't enjoy being in your final year of high school or enjoy your gap year or whatever you're doing before that that you're applying. Um, it's really important to take a breath, give yourself grace, and um, not stress out too much. We're here for you as admissions counselors too. So don't be afraid to reach out to us. And you know, you're gonna make mistakes, you're human, but doing some of these things will really help you in the long run have a very successful application. So thanks for that question. 
Hey, podcast friends, are you or someone you know in need of some custom college gear? Prep Sportswear carries a wide variety of college fan gear and apparel, including T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, hats, and so much more. So whether you're getting ready to go to the game, hanging out on campus, organizing a college bed decorating party, or you're simply looking to build upon your college gear, Prep Sportswear has you covered. Check out our Prep Sportswear affiliate partnership link in the show notes for all the details. As an affiliate partner with Prep Sportswear, the podcast does receive a small commission if you make a purchase. But rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel that would benefit our listeners. And now, back to the show. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. You gave them so many things to think about and even to avoid. Students, get the unofficial transcript early so that when you're prepared to fill out your application, you have it there so that your information will be accurate. You also spoke about the difference between the personal statement and the PIQ, which was great. Don't leave it to the admissions rep students to speculate about anything on your application. Like Ashley said, whether it's your activities or perhaps there were some dips in grades for some reason. If there was a loss in the family, heaven forbid, or something else that occurred, an injury, don't leave it to the admissions reps to speculate as to why a grade may have dipped in 10th grade, for example. So very important to have uh, a complete application. Ashley, you talked about asking yourself as a student the question, does this add value to the application? And I think it's very important to remind students that the application is a marketing package with many pieces. Very important students to understand what each piece is intended for and to also understand that you need to build upon each of the pieces. So for example, if your activity sheet talks about the fact that you're an athlete, you're a soccer player, and you love soccer, you sleep with your soccer ball, and in the PIQs, all you talk about is the, the fact that you love soccer, it's a missed opportunity. So I think it's very important to take a step back, deep breath, and as Ashley said, does this piece, does whatever I'm saying in this portion of the application add value? So again, that was great. We really appreciate it. And I'd like to go back to Michelle at this point. Now, Michelle, I know we talked about the PIQs a lot, but can you share an example that stuck with you and what other advice would you give to prospective students in terms of what else to think about when replying to the PIQ questions? Absolutely. And I have to thank Ashley and Leticia and Jasmine have all mentioned uh, and talked about so many great things. And um, Ashley took the words that we all use, which is this is your interview on paper. <laughs> Many of us receive over 120 to 130,000 applicants. Wow. <laughs> and um, while I truly would love to sit down and get a chance to interview you all, and I know many times and uh, we'll meet you at college fairs, we'll meet you at the high school visit, you walk away going, oh my gosh, the student is amazing and look at all the things that they've done. We're not writing any of that down. Uh, that's not something that the UC system does. So when you meet us at a college fair, when you meet us um, at your high school visit, um, we're not taking notes on your particular file and saying, you know, oh my gosh, Jua talked about how they designed this new system that provides clean water and they're, they're so involved <laughs> in their community. Um, we're not taking notes on that. You're um, teachers are not sending letters of recommendation. Your counselor is not calling us and letting us know that. So the only way we learn those specific things about you 
is through the application. And really the personal insight questions are where we learn so much of the, uh, so many of those factors. Uh, so what I would say is just reiterating again, there are eight questions available. You choose four. As Leticia said, don't feel the need to choose a question. So many people choose the leadership question on there and it's not a great fit. It's okay. Don't feel the need to go ahead and choose that question if it doesn't resonate with you. Uh, but I want to go back to something Jasmine said about so many of you are involved in non-traditional involvements, especially as you know, this class that is graduating this year will um, have come into high school in the midst of COVID. So you had a bit of a rocky, weird start to high school. Maybe it took you another second to really figure out how to get involved. Was it safe to get involved? Were activities back in full swing? And you might have found some new ways to be involved um, your first year of high school, and you might have continued those. I would find a way to go ahead and mention those in the activities and awards, but that is a great place to mention them in the personal insight questions. So of those eight questions, choose the four, use those I statements. This is not a, uh, this is not an English assignment. This is not a creative writing assignment. I would absolutely have people look it over, edit it, read it by all means. Um, but don't, as Ashley said, stress about having the perfect opening and the perfect closing. Um, and John, I think as you just said, also make sure you're sharing different parts of yourself throughout those questions too. I just had a student two weeks ago email me and say, I'm working on the PIQs, but I can't in every question find a way to address this website that I built. And I answered back <laughs> and said, we actually don't need you to do that. We would love to hear about other things that you're involved in. Go ahead and use one of those questions to answer about the website that you built, but then address other aspects of yourself and your life. Um, something that we talk a lot about and I think is hard as high schoolers to understand is you'll hear the word context thrown around a lot. And I had a counselor say to me about a year and a half ago, you all ask about context a lot, but what 17 year old is supposed to understand the context of their own life? And that really made me think about how we discuss it. Um, because what we're very much asking is, what's your world? What is your world? And of course, you don't understand, well, my world is that I live in New York City and I take the subway to school every day when somebody else's world is I take the bus and it's five minutes down the road or um, you know, I walk to school or I have a non-traditional schooling. Um, so you don't understand uh, because you're not living other people's lives, that their world is different. Um, but basically, we want to learn what is your world, what's available in your world, and what have you done within that? And that's where a lot of the personal insight questions um, can really help. So a couple examples that I can give is that, um, you know, I've had students who have talked about things that Jasmine mentioned, such as culture and religion playing a really big part um, in who you are and what your world is and what your values are. And oftentimes that might be why you are seeking a UC. Um, so that's great. Go ahead and find a place to address that in a personal insight question. Um, you may have been really moved, you know, as a 13, 14 year old um, by the Black Lives Matter movement and by social justice. And now that's something that you, um, is a big part of who you are and what you're interested in doing, even if you're also going to go be an engineer. So this is a great place to mention that. We want to know what makes you tick, what is valuable to you, um, what your world is. Something else is that, um, John, as you just mentioned, when students struggled a little bit, 
it's really um, confusing if we see a student had uh, was having a great year and then all of a sudden there's there's a lower grade in a subject area or there's a lower grade for a quarter in several subject areas. Well, maybe something happened there. Maybe you had a struggle. And there is a question um, in the PIQs where you can actually address that. So that's what's really helpful to me and really resonates is when I get to learn something new about a student that I don't see in other aspects of their application. I get to learn what they're really excited about and how they spend their time. Um, And there's no right or wrong there. Um, You know, one of my favorite questions to read um, the answers to is the one that asks about uh, academic subject you're passionate about. I remember one year I had a student who was a dancer, but they would be, um, they were, you know, a dancer that danced 20 hours a week and looked like they would probably go into uh, college and major in dance, but they were actually wanting to go into physics. And she talked about combining her two loves. And as she learned more about physics, how she combined that with her dance um, in the way that she would pirouette and the physics involved in that, and that how that actually helped her as a dancer as well, and made her think that this is an area that she could combine in the future at a UC which is exactly what we do at EUC. We really look at interdisciplinary studies. So that's one that really uh, resonated with me. This past couple of years, you know, I've really seen students who struggled um, in various areas with anxiety, um, with, you know, parents losing jobs. um, And they would talk about it very honestly. We don't ever want a student to feel like they have to talk about those things, but if it played a role in your life, then it could add value there to your um, application. Um, had students who spoke about, um, you know, they might have been going through a transition um, from, you know, gender identity and the struggle there. And again, feeling that, you know, California was really a place where they could um, freely and proudly be themselves with support. Um, So those are just examples of some of the things that we've heard. And I've also read about the businesses that you've started and the, um, you know, basketball uh, tournament that was really important that you won and the play that you were in. And those all have equal value. So really just think about at the end of the application would you still need to call me and say, wait, Michelle, there's still this one thing you really need to know about me. <laughs> because at the end of the application, at the end of the personal insight questions, you should think there shouldn't be anything left that I really need to call Michelle and tell her this one thing. And, and I think that's helpful to think is, what am I leaving out? Is this really um, helping who I am? The last thing I'll say is... Um, come to a a personal insight question workshop. Um, We will send uh, John the worksheet that is um, on the website. You can also just Google UC PIQs. It will pop up. There's a lovely page. There's a video. There's a worksheet. I highly recommend doing that. All of us will either together be hosting or individually be hosting application workshops and PIQ workshops. So please come to one of those because that can really be helpful. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for the great PIQ tips and example, and also for defining what you mean by context. I'm so glad that you shared that story of a counselor calling you, asking about what does context mean to a 17-year-old, and the example that you gave, a student that perhaps lives in a city, and rather than taking a school bus to school or perhaps having a parent drop them off, they live, I think the example you gave was New York City, and they're taking the New York City subway to high school, which, by the way, is what I did, Michelle. So that definitely resonated with me. Another thing that parents write me about is community and campus culture. So, Leticia, I'm going to come back to you. How would you describe the general campus culture at the UC schools 
and what resources are available to help students find their community within the larger university setting? Oh, wow. So I feel like I can talk endlessly about this, (laughs) specifically for Davis. But if we are looking at the overarching UC system and what we all have to offer, we're, we're all very special in our own ways, but we are also very special because we are we stand together in a lot of ways as well. Um, So if I had to describe the overall UC community, it would be resilient, innovative, and probably like very community oriented. Um, And I'm not just saying this because I'm I'm alum, um, though (laughs) I will always admit to that and I will die on that hill because I really feel strongly about the UC community in general. But our students are really looking to make impacts, um, whether it's locally or globally, and they're looking at creative ways. I think we're seeing it more and more with the generation coming up, too. It's just kind of built into their their DNA. And we have the space across our campus to really hone in on that um, because we are a research-based institution system. But also, it's just always been in our DNA as well to question the things that currently exist and how do we make it better and how do we change it to adapt to what we as people in different types of communities and from diverse backgrounds are able to use from it. So that's my little spiel on like how the community is. If you were to look at it on a bigger picture, of course, we could go more in depth as to like what makes each campus more specific. We like to say we all have our different personalities. And that's why college fit is a very big part of the conversation when we talk to students about which campuses to apply. In addition to doing the research about um, eligibility, selectivity and all of all, all of those opportunities. Some other resources and things I'd like to highlight that go across the system really would be each of the UC campuses have several centers that will actually help students find communities. And it's going to be based off of not just the academics, but because we are hoping to hone in on developing students as a whole, as individuals navigating the professional space, um, we are going to have centers that are going to be like cross-cultural centers, for example. We also have like the first generation initiatives that help our students navigate a very different world depending on their backgrounds. Um, We have disability centers, international centers, veteran services, LGBTQIA centers, and those are just a few to name our campuses. Again, they may have different names on different campuses, but Overall, we all kind of offer the same types of services and support for our students to feel like they're finding their home away from home, whether it's, you know, a 20 minute drive in California or across the world, wherever they're coming from. And um, I also want to highlight a few other things that may be a little bit of a non-traditional approach to creating community for students on campus. Um, But again, really highlighting the whole research based institution. We all have undergraduate research centers and students usually when they think of this, they think of purely academics. How does this help my resume? How does it help my goals going into graduate school or maybe potentially going into a different type of professional space? Right. And research centers, though, I think are very interesting combinations of the academics and all of the, I guess, pillars of the UC system and what we stand for, but it's also a really great way to build community in fostering ideas and making you rethink as a student, like what your original plan for 
your professional goals are. Because you meet so many interesting students in those spaces. There's a lot of interdisciplinary work that's happening as well. Um, And I've had a lot of student stories that are just really interesting because it can change and make students pivot from one area to another, all within a safe community for them to be able to explore that. So I know it's very non-traditional to think of research as a way to build community, but I really think that when you're in a space to be able to have conversations with one another about different things that excite you, it's a really great way not just to foster your personal growth and professional growth, um, but it's a really great way to also just feel supported to be able to make those different decisions and changes and all of that. Um, Another thing I would highlight is our campuses uh, like to get creative when it comes to certain things like housing, for example. So a lot of us have like living learning communities or even shared interest communities. And that's a way for students to explore as soon as they get on campus, different communities, but also different parts of their identity. Um, So I would highly recommend students to think about that and to actually include it into their research, like what are those things that I'm going to be interacting with on a day-to-day basis that will help me build community in a comfortable space, right? I always like to joke around with students, if you can find a supportive living community um, within your campus, it's going to be easy making friends, even if you're in your pajamas with no makeup and feel like you're struggling (laughs) through the quarter. Like that's exactly the student experience, right? And you build a lot of community with that. Why not do it within the community that you may feel a little bit more Um, tied to, right? Or you want to explore and learn more about. Um, So that's another example I like to throw in there. And then of course, we have a bunch of clubs. A lot of us probably have over hundreds of clubs. I know at Davis specifically, we have over 800. Um, So that's a really great way to go out of your comfort zone, but also again, fine tune some of your hobbies. Maybe you are an engineer um, and you're always focusing on the numbers, but you have a hobby where you love to play the violin. Why not, you know, interact with that community in the music industry to be able to fine tune that hobby? Because, again, you're going to be your at your best when you feel supported, when you feel comfortable. But you also are pushing that comfort zone little by little to continue growing as an individual. Um, and I'll save my little tidbit for later because I know we're going to probably have a wrap up <laughs> on like recommendations. Um, but I think that, you know, when it comes to the UC system, you're going to find community almost everywhere. It's really just about like how you want to approach it. Do you want to have a community that's going to support you in your academic goals? Do you want to have a community that supports you in your identity or, um, you know, the exploration of a certain identity, like all of that, you're going to find it at UC. A lot of the students that you talk to are going to say, well, I picked this campus because it's a home away from home. Um, And so as unique as all of our campuses are, we are all sharing that one tie and that we want our students to grow holistically, which is why we reviewed them holistically as well, um, because (laughs) it's very important for a student to feel like they can do all of those things in and outside of the classroom. Well, thank you so much, Leticia, for sharing all of that. And I love that you spoke about how the UC system, you stand together. Again, I'm so grateful that all of you came here today to have this episode on all of the UC schools. You also spoke about how the UC system is resilient, innovative and community minded, which is so true. I'm going to point back to the retention rate that we spoke about earlier, 92%, which again, 
well above the national average and truly astonishing. So with that overview, it is clear that the UC system definitely has something for everyone. So thank you again, Leticia. And Jua, I want to go back to you, Jua, because many students and their parents are concerned about the cost of a college education. Can you explain the UC system's approach to financial aid and scholarships and what steps students can take to ensure that they can afford a UC education? Sure, yeah. And this is an extremely important question because we've thrown out all these wonderful resources that we offer as, as an institution, but you have to pay for it. And so you want to make sure that you're <laughs> setting yourself up to make sure that you can do it uh, and hopefully come out with no debt. And I definitely think this question is very much rooted to the family decision of this process because you're dealing with what can your family actually afford? What makes sense to you? So this is a phenomenal question. I'll begin by just saying just kind of the average rate of attending a UC campus, first and foremost, if you're a California resident, is a little bit over 42000 And I'm looking at total cost, including if you are living in a dormitory. And if you're not a state student, the average cost is a little bit over $76,000 per year. So definitely some nuance there, but I always like to throw those numbers out because a lot of students will come and ask us, how much, how much is tuition? And that's all they ask me about. And they don't include all the other fees that come with this with rooming and board and food and transportation and books and all the additional expenses that come with funding a university education. And I think that's so important that when you all are asking again, asking about what's the total cost of attendance. It's really, really important to students and families that you're asking schools that question so that you get the full cost and you know what to look for in your research. Um, and I would say as, as a system, we're very much committed to being as affordable as possible for our um, students. Right now, you're looking at over 55% of our California undergrads, and again, these are California residents, I'm going to highlight that particular population, but 55% of our, of our California residents, our undergrads, pay no tuition, and they also graduate with no student loan debt. We are very proud of that fact. Dan, wow. you're dealing with a public university system that speaks volumes. And then also over 70% of our California undergrads get an average of $18,000 um, in grants and scholarships to help with their costs. And again, that's including tuition, food and housing, transportation, and so on. So we are always trying to do better every single year to really meet the need of really supporting our students so that they can graduate again, hopefully with no debt. And when we look at financial aid, we always talk about kind of two main components and when you're looking at kind of that need-based aid and then also merit-based aid. And need-based aid being those kind of grants that you're not paying back that may be offered through the university. Also loans, which you are paying back, and we know a lot of times students may not want that, but they are an extremely valuable opportunity to pay for school. Um, and then also work study programs. So you have a lot of options with the need-based aid and then of course merit-based aid being more based on scholarships, your merit. And that could be everything from um, academic performance, um, leadership, community engagement, a mixture of all the above, athletic ability, and so on. So I always kind of break it down kind of in those two ways between the need-based aid and then also the merit-based aid. And for our system, the main two ways that we advise students to apply for financial aid would be first, utilizing the FAFSA, which is the free application for federal student aid. Um, I know that's going through a major kind of revamp this past you know, year <laughs> or so, even though it's been kind of uh, in the process for quite some time, but I'm happy that they revamped it because it seems to really be simplifying 
the FAFSA form to make it more accessible to students to kind of cut out a lot of a lot of different layers uh, so that students can hopefully qualify for more. It's more easily understood. But students can, again, apply for financial aid utilizing the FAFSA and then also the California Dream Act application. Um, and this particular application is very much um, specific to students who qualify for what we call AB 549 resident tuition exemption. Um, this will help a lot of our undocumented students and also other maybe non-residents who may be eligible and to be qualified. And we go through a whole slew of different qualifications on our website, so definitely check that out. But typically, if a student has to have attended a California high school for at least three years full time, or maybe a California adult school and even a California community college to kind of qualify for that status. But so the FAFSA and the California Dream, Dream Act application are kind of the two primary ways that students will apply for financial aid um, for our different campuses. Um, starting this year, I know they will start, they will be live starting in December, which is also a shift. I know to this point, it usually was early October per se, so it'll be pushed back a little bit. Uh, but again, make sure that you all are reading, visiting our websites, really digging into this information so that you're very clear on deadlines, the timelines. To me, this is where you need to take advantage of maybe workshops offered at your high schools, offered by your counselors. Maybe there's a regional program talking about filling out the FAFSA. They're FAFSA workshops. There's a lot of information. So please take full advantage of that so that you and your families understand what that looks like and what's that process. And then specifically for out-of-state students, I always kind of, I'll put a pin on this right here before I kind of jump into some information. For out-of-state students, typically they will not receive a lot of that kind of need-based aid from our institution. So when we're talking about grants through a, res a respective campus, you're not really going to see that anymore. Now, you may receive some type of federal aid. So let's say a student may be eligible and receive a Pell Grant. We will still accept that kind of aid because that's through the federal government. We will definitely take that. Um, but grant aid that may come through one of our nine campuses, you really don't see much of that anymore. So I always want to make sure to kind of make a note of that. Not to mention, it is rare for our incoming non-resident students to qualify as a California resident while they're an undergraduate student. It does not happen very often, and it pains me to say that, but it does not happen very often. And I always wanna throw that out to my non-resident students, my domestic students. Um, and I'll say this really quickly though, most of us have what we call kind of a residency type of office. I know at Berkeley is student, it's the legal residency affairs unit and so forth. That's a way that you can learn about at each of our campuses, how do we view and determine residency for our incoming students? Those are the kind of offices on all of our campuses that determine if you qualify for in-state tuition or not. So that is who you want to reach out to. So if you have an Everybody has very unique situations. I've heard a lot of different fairs, and I'm like, I don't get into that avenue. That is not my lane because <laughs> it can be very specific. And I want to make sure that you receive accurate information, especially when you're talking about the amount of money that you're going to spend and making sure that you can qualify for what you can. Reach out to that respective office, again, for residency on our campuses to learn more about how to qualify. But again, rarely do you shift status while you're an undergraduate student to receive that in-state residency kind of tuition if you don't start in that space already. So I do want to make that note 
And for my international students, typically, you're not going to qualify for need-based aid. You're not filling out the FAFSA. Typically, you may be eligible for scholarships, merit-based scholarships, things of that nature, definitely. But typically, for the need-based aid where you're filling out the FAFSA, typically, that's not the case, again, unless there's a certain circumstance, situation. Um, so, I, again, I never say never, say never, but that's typically what it is. What I will stress is that this is where I always advise, please do your research, you all. There is a lot of information on the University of California's website, on all nine of our different campuses' websites that's tied to our financial aid office. And it gives you very specific information. And it's specific to if you are a California resident, if you are an out-of-state domestic student, or if you are an international student. And it goes into a lot of details. Take notes please feel encouraged to reach out, ask questions. We want to hear from you. A lot of for international students, for instance, I tell you, reach out to our international offices. Um, I think uh, Leticia mentioned something about like on our different campuses, international offices. Sometimes that's one of the best places to find different resources as an international student for ways to help pay for your education. They may can tie you into certain uh, outside resources. Sometimes they even have a pot of money that they make an offer to you as an incoming freshman and definitely once you're there to help you finish. So there's a lot of resources, but please, again, do your research. And again, do not be afraid to ask questions. That is why you, we are here. So always feel encouraged and empowered to ask what you need to know. Okay. Very, very important. I will say for the UC system, and when I mentioned a little earlier that we're always striving to do better and make our kind of, the, you know, attending a UC campus more affordable, we have a lot of different programs that we have in place. So one of the newer things that we've established the last couple of years is what we call the UC Tuition Stability Plan. And that started in the fall of 2022. Um, and so basically that kind of caps tuition. So let's say you started fall 2022, whatever the rate of tuition was that year, we capped it at that level, and it will not change for those students for up to six years. So that is one way that we're trying to kind of offset costs where it's not, tuition is not going to increase anymore, that you already know what you're going to pay for the next six years in tuition, okay? That also stands from out-of-state students who have to pay that non-resident supplemental tuition. That also is capped. So again, it really helps you in your planning because you know what you have to pay. You know what you have to plan for every single year. So that's a newer program that we started. Again, that's the UC's Tuition Stability Plan. Another really great opportunity uh, that we offer to, um, and this is strictly for California residents, is what we call our Blue and Gold Opportunity Plan. Um, and this is for students whose total family income is less than $80,000 a year. And if you qualify for this program, basically, you will not have to pay the UC system-wide tuition and fees out of your pocket. So it kind of covers all of that through scholarship and grant money. That's a major, major program because it really affects a lot of, of individuals, especially if you're coming from a low-income background. It really helps you be able to afford a UC education. And then for students who have kind of greater financial need, you will still qualify for additional grant support. So that blue and gold opportunity plan is a really great option for um, California residents. We also have something called the Middle Class Scholarship Program. Um, and this one is more so for, this is for students who are, are pursuing a teaching credential. So this is for our future educators. And students whose family's income is up to like $201,000 could qualify to be a part of this scholarship program. So it covers a pretty broad range of students, again, for those who are seeking a teaching credential. 
Um, also, one of our newest programs is our Native American Opportunity Plan. I'm extremely excited about this. And we've, we've talked, several of us, about diversity on our campus and always striving to do better. And we are always striving to increase our Native American uh, community on, across all of our campuses. And so this particular plan, um, and again, this is statewide, um, but it ensures that the tuition and student service fees are fully covered for California students who are part of a federally recognized Native American, American Indian, and Alaska Native tribe. Um, so that also will help. And that's a newer program. I'm, and I, that's for undergrad and actually grad students as well. So I'm excited about that. And then kind of the final piece of this, another really cool program is our California Dream Loan Program. And I know loans, that's not ideal for a lot of students, but again, it's a really valid route to pay for school. Um, and this particular program is for eligible undocumented AB 540 undergraduates and allows them a chance to borrow money for loans. Students have to, again, have to graduate from a California high school and meet the requirements for the California kind of Dream Act, you know, and also... If you do qualify, you can take up to $20,000 per year in a loan for this particular program. So that's another option. So you see there's a lot. There's really a lot of ways that we are trying to, to kind of really implement new programs every single year. We're always striving to do better to be able to make, again, attending a UC a more affordable. And then finally, please scholarships. All of us have scholarships on our respective campuses. At, at Berkeley, we talk about our Regents and Chancellor Scholarship, that's a fully paid ride. So all of our campuses have some type of scholarship program uh, that's for our particular uh, campus. Please make sure that it, when you are coming and talking to us at college fairs or reaching out to us at a school, you know, um, just via email or at a school visit, ask us about that process because it may be different. Some of us, it may be an automatic consideration when you apply for admissions, and then we'll reach out to you to let you know, hey, you're a finalist for this. We have to interview you now and take some additional steps. But some of them, you may have to apply separately. And so, you know, you have to know what that process is so that you know the, the right way to go um, really to apply for these respective scholarships. But all of us offer them. So please make sure that you are doing your research to apply for them. Um, I will say Berkeley specifically this past year, uh, well, this is kind of tied to my next one. Before I even say that, one of the main ways about scholarships that I always stress to students, and I feel like I don't receive the question enough these days, is outside scholarships. You all should be applying for outside scholarships. I don't care what school you go to. I always say that should be like a part-time job. All right? Even if your parents can afford it, I'm sure they would love to not have to pay for it. And students that we meet, you all are so intelligent. You are so resourceful. You are making waves in this world every single day. There are scholarships out, out there for everything. Make sure that you all are applying to the point that clearly that someone else is going to pay for your education. You don't have to worry about it and you're going to graduate without debt. So please make sure that you all are applying for outside scholarships. Now to what I was going to say, this past year, Students coming to Berkeley, around $55 million they brought in from outside scholarships. So that is a key way that a lot of students pay for a UC education. So I'd never want to gloss over that fact. Again, I don't receive that question enough, in my opinion. <laughs> that is a main way that students, you all should be applying for outside scholarships. Tap into your college counseling offices. A lot of times they always have resources. They're posting information about scholarships. They have databases. Um, take advantage of that. 
Even on our websites, we have a lot of us some have sometimes have outside scholarship search engines on our financial aid webpage. You should be <laughs> digging into all of that. So please don't take that lightly. That is so important. And then finally, kind of touching upon kind of our different websites, all of us have what we call net price calculators. Um, uh, and it's mandatory, literally, if you're United States, all of us, different universities have these net price calculators. Um, and these calculators, calculators are really kind of a quick and easy way to kind of get a rough estimation of what you may pay if you attend one of our universities. So I say, take some time, explore the net price calculator. Um, again, it is not an actual amount, but at least puts you in the ballpark of what you may be looking to spend to give you something to work with. And I suggest you do that for any school that you're interested in applying to. That's really, really important. And so hopefully that'll get you going with financial aid. But that, those are some ways, again, how we approach it uh, for the UC system and across you know, all of our different campuses. Well, Joe, that'll definitely get them going, especially when it comes to financial aid and things like scholarships. You talked about so much, the UC Tuition Stability Plan, the California Dream Act application, the FAFSA, need-based and, of course, merit-based aid, scholarship through your system, the UC system, but, of course, the outside scholarships that are available to all students. And I'm so glad that you talked about the mandatory for all schools the net price calculator. And I mention all of these things again, because if you want to include links to any of these resources or anything else, please provide them to me and we'll put them in the show notes for the parents and the students, because obviously cost is a very important consideration for all families. Like you said, even if it's a family that can afford tuition, I'm sure they wouldn't mind saving an additional $15,000, $20,000 if their child gets an outside scholarship or a UC scholarship. So again, Joy, that was amazing. Thank you so much for your comprehensive answer. And I'm going to go back to Ashley because, of course, transfer students also play a significant role in the UC system. So Ashley, what unique considerations do transfer applicants face and how can they best prepare for a successful application? Well, this question actually comes at a great point in this session because I think this is a very savvy way for students to save money in this entire UC process. I mean, obviously, we have great connections to the California Community Colleges, and there's many, um, many articulation agreement that shows you exactly what you need in order to be successful in the process. And actually, there's a commitment with all of the UC campuses for every two freshmen we take in an admission, we also have to take a transfer. So this is a big opportunity for students to not only save a little bit of money, whether you're doing community college in California or a lot of us are working with non-resident populations. So you're doing a community college back in your home state or even, um, you know, a more fully funded education at a four year institution. These are all very valid pathways and we are set up to take students and take your credits. I think that's the most important thing too, is that we have an extremely diligent and comprehensive way we review <laughs> transfer applications. Um, and I feel that it is a very important route that students should consider because we do go to college fairs and visits for high school students where we talk about some of those things that Jua just mentioned and it's extremely overwhelming and seems almost unattainable for students. So we totally recognize that. And, you know, I think starting this process early is the best way into creating this affordability. So kind of backtracking to like the unique 
considerations. Um, we definitely, to I think a great testament to like the UC Faculty Senate, developed kind of a system that students really have the pathway that they need to transfer set up for them. Whether it's through like our transfer admissions planner, where students can really see like our core requirements, because we do have a seven course transfer pattern that students must complete, as well as major preparation for the various different, more challenging majors and selective majors that we have at our institutions. So kind of looking at it from the outside in, it can seem like a lot, but I really challenge students out there to find a more comprehensive set of instructions and materials and all of the all of the things that you need to feel like you know what's going on. Um, I also feel like there is a lot of information out there. You know, Michelle had mentioned like PIQ information on the website. There is a ton of information out there in terms of transfer resources. I almost hesitate to kind of dive into all of this because this could be honestly a whole podcast <laughs> in itself to be to be really truthful. But I think starting in those transfer offices um, at each UC, because obviously the seven courses are going to be the same, but for each specific major, that's where it's going to start to get tricky, especially if you're thinking about business or STEM-based related fields. And of course, as much as you hear about impacted majors from like a freshman or first year perspective, you're also going to find that there's a limit on what majors are available to transfers as well. So if I can encourage students when you're thinking about transferring to the UCs, it does require a bit of planning as you start your initial journey in your higher education experience, because you're kind of planning exactly what courses you need to take at a certain time during the year to make sure that you have everything in a row to be successful in the process. But that being said, the resources are incredible in terms of not only funding your education as a California resident, and also we do have reserves for kind of the similar scholarships and opportunities, things like that. But there's also great resources in the transition. I have to say, as somebody who's now been working for UC for a couple of years, it's just really been great to see the transfer organizations, the transfer orientations. You really don't feel like you're singled out in any way, where it could be really hard at a smaller school when you're one of like five transfers. You have a huge <laughs> class. And we're at Riverside, we have a winter transfer. So we even have like a pretty big cohort in the fall. And then in winter, we usher in a pretty sizable cohort as well. So for for our campuses, you get the full experience, even if you weren't here for all four years, which is a really great consideration because sometimes we realize, you know, transfers might not only be those savvy shoppers, they also might be those folks where they're really trying to find their home away from home. And what a great gift that we can start them out on the right foot on our campus and make sure that they feel um, included and like they're having their full experience, even though they didn't show up as an 18 year old. Um, so this is, and we work with learners who had started their education in 1997 and they come in, they come back to their education. We work with formerly incarcerated folks who are coming back to their education. So what's really cool about this transfer population as well is we just like in true UC fashion, it's for everybody. And I think that's great because this is an opportunity that, you know, whether you're sitting here kind of thinking about 
what your senior year and applications are going to look like. Or if you're a parent that like, oh, I didn't know I could go back and finish my education. <laughs> this is a pathway for you. So with that, I'll pass it over to John to, to wrap us up with some questions. Well, that's a great overview and tremendous insight. I didn't know, by the way, for every two freshmen accepted, you have to accept one transfer student, which is great insight. And it's also uh, something for students to understand that you may not get accepted right out of high school. So go to that community college, earn your credits, and then try again as a transfer student. And like Ashley said, they do have to take your credits. So there's no loss there, right? No loss whatsoever. You will find the right place for you students. So again, Ashley, we appreciate that overview. And this has been a phenomenal conversation. Unfortunately, it's leading us to the end. But before I get to the last question, I have to ask everyone, is there a question that I didn't ask that you wish I had or a topic that I didn't bring up that you wish to share with our listeners at this time. So let's start with Jasmine. What do you think? Thank you. So I think research opportunities are definitely a big draw for students, especially um, you know as I'm connecting with students in high school. A lot of them are already participating in high school level research projects, or maybe at another uh, university or college, and they're really thinking about you know these solutions to real world problems. And that's what the UCs are known for. We're known for research. I know Leticia talked about this already a little bit, but it is a big drop for students. So, and our professors are well known in um, their areas of, um, of teaching as well. So they're a really, really great resource. And one thing that I like to highlight about research is that it is available also for study abroad opportunities. So if that's something that you want to take on um, as part of that experience, or you think, you know, you'll have to pause research because of study abroad at our campuses, some of them do, whenever you are applying to study abroad, you are able to find opportunities where you can continue that research with other professors also interested in the same area that you might be. And also that interdisciplinary approach to research is a really big thing for us. So if you do have you know, multiple areas of interest, that's also a really great way to kind of you know, either have a collaboration with another professor in a different area, or maybe hone in on what it is that you want to focus on in the future. Whatever that postgraduate stream looks like for you, whatever it is that you want to pursue after you graduate from one of the UCs, getting that experience, even as an undergraduate, will look really, really great on your resume or for your um, postgrad um, opportunities that you're applying for, anything like that. Research is such a big deal. And to start looking at that now and seeing what our institutions have to offer for that, many of us have undergraduate opportunities that you can apply for as well, or that you will be automatically considered for, so that by the time you graduate from one of us, you will have years of experience. So that's one of the main things that I like to point out with students as I'm traveling on the road. Well, thank you so much, Jasmine. That was terrific. Michelle, same question. Well, how many hours do we have here? Because <laughs> I think, um, I I think what we really did today was, you know, talked obviously about the UCs um, a little bit, but focused so much on the application as well. Uh, so I almost wonder if we could do a part two of of the specifics, <laughs> like Jasmine talked about. I almost fear bringing up another topic uh, that will we'll be on here for eight hours. And um, I don't know if anyone will download an eight hour long podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I would say to echo Jasmine, I would, I would really come back to, to the research. So I think I'll go ahead and pass it along to somebody else. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. Chua, back to you. Sure. Based on, I guess, what's already been provided, uh, an additional topic, I feel like we covered quite a bit. 
Um, I'll kind of echo what Michelle said about just the conversation, maybe about just the actual UC application, just because we do typically a lot of workshops regarding that. And sometimes just filling it out can be daunting to some students and kind of the different pieces, what, how you can answer, you know, selecting the, you know, statement of legal residence and, and filling out your, your courses and honors level, especially for my out of state students and honors level and AP and just kind of the nuts and bolts of the actual UC application. Um, you know, I always feel like that's a great topic. And I always feel like when students have a chance to engage with us in that way um, at a UC workshop, maybe it's through your school or your local, you know, maybe community-based organization, something along those lines, I always feel like that's very helpful just so that what we've talked about over and over again about context and telling your story that we can hopefully equip them uh, with some really great information on how to best tell their story and utilize the UC application as a tool that it is um, in a very thorough and efficient way. So um, that's the only other topic. And again, I agree, that's a whole other separate <laughs> kind of podcast that can take up quite some time. So that would be my addition to it. Well, we're happy to have you all back. So thank you again for that, Joa and Leticia, you're up. Right. So one thing I hear quite often on the road is the conversation about pre-majors, so pre-med, pre-law, pre-insert other graduate school programming here. Um, and we always tell them, like, the UCs don't have pre-majors. And that's because we have the interdisciplinary approach, right? A lot of our resources and opportunities, whether it's research, internships, jobs, anything else that can help supplement your academic journey, is not going to be closed off to particular majors or particular like lines of professional development, right? They're open for students to be able to customize their education in the way that best fits them. So I always tell students, if you're looking at like being pre-med, Think about what that means. It just means you're looking at applying to medical school eventually, but look at the majors, look at the interests that you already have, and think about how you want to build that to make it a unique experience that actually fosters the interests that you have. And ultimately, you'll get to medical school. We all have resources to help you get to medical school, whether it's advising or all those other types of resources I mentioned, like research. Um, but don't close yourself off into this particular majors or ideas that you think are traditional to achieving those goals. The whole point of being research-based and having that interdisciplinary approach is that you can have a little bit more fun with it and kind of push the boundaries of what a pre-med student might look like. So highly encourage students to think a little bit more about what majors mean, what that can look like for them, and see about the resources that we pretty much all have across our campuses to be able to put that together. Thank you so much, Leticia. And we're going to end this question with Ashley. Ashley, go ahead. I don't know if I have much to add, except <laughs> for me personally, because I live outside of California and did not study at a UC, although I'm a very biased fan. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like it's good for students, especially outside the state, to realize how big California is. Because we have lots of different geography, we have lots of types of cities, and I'm not talking about just the state, I'm talking about the UCs represented in this room and also the nine of us total. So it's really important when you're doing your college search to understand 
the geography that you're signing yourself up for. Because if you're thinking that all of California is like a sunny beach, you're like completely <laughs> wrong. But like in the best way possible, because we have like glorious redwood forest of Santa Cruz and like the beautiful mountains next to Riverside and just a lot of different offerings in the state. So definitely big cities, countryside, you name it. Um, so I would just, that would be my very brief anecdote is just explore the beauty of California and the UC because it goes hand in hand. Thank you so much, Ashley and everybody on the panel. This has been phenomenal and it does lead us. We do have one more question. The last question, which is what is your top piece of advice that you would give a student and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? This time we're going to start with Ashley. Oh my. So actually, I think this goes really well with my answer that I just gave, which is you really need to look at all nine campuses, especially coming from one who like, not a lot of people know where Riverside is. They should. Um, We're in between LA and Palm Springs. So we're on the map. Um, But I think it's really important because yes, we've heard of a lot of our widely recognized campuses, University of California is an internationally known phenomenon, even I would put it. But I think also it's just really important because just like you're building a school list, generally speaking, that strategy also reigns true as you're just talking about the UCs. So whether it's fit, program, size, all of that can be in our little microcosm that is just our nine campus program. So think about that as you're, you're doing your search and finalizing your college list and good luck. Thank you so much for being here again, Ashley. We really appreciate it. Leticia, you're up next. Oh, lovely timing. I was going to piggyback on Ashley's uh, thought here. <laughs> um, but yeah, just think about the college experience holistically. I think sometimes students and, you know, it just, it makes sense. You have to start somewhere when it comes to research for universities. But sometimes we think about it and we approach higher education as rankings. And that's it, right? How do, how does it look on paper? And does that fit my goals when I put that on paper as well? It's just easy, right? It makes sense. But really, that you're going to be spending four to two years there, depending on the pathway that you're choosing. And that means that you're going to be spending over you know 360 days per year there. Um, in some cases, depending on where you decide to move, what your summer plans look like. So having the day in and day out things really are going to come into play when you're having that college experience, thinking about, do I feel comfortable or want to push myself to the limit when I'm looking at a really big city, if I'm coming from a suburbia background, right? Do I want to think about travel? How am I getting to class, right? Are you biking? Like Davis, it's all bikes. And if you look there, it's a little overwhelming. We have like 20,000 bikes sometimes and that can scare (laughs) a lot of people. Um, It's almost worse than like getting on the freeway trying to go to class um, in LA, right? Um, But it's going to be very different depending on what you're looking for as a student and what type of experience you want to have and how that aligns with how you see yourself again. The professional and the personal are never separate. So thinking about that together is going to be important because the more comfortable you feel, the more likely you are to be successful as a student in achieving your professional goals. So highly emphasizing what Ashley was saying about thinking college fit, thinking about where these schools are and how these schools not just support students systemically with their resources, but what is the overall culture? Again, I mentioned transportation. 
I don't ever hear transportation as something that students talk about or ask about when they're thinking about college. Like, are you commuting? Are you living down the street? Like, what does that look like? Those are logistics that seem very small right now, but I can tell you they can make a big difference depending on how you feel um, and how comfortable you are. So definitely take advantage of the resources that we have um, to feel and understand what those campuses look like day in and day out outside of just the rankings and talk to current students. Current students are not shy about their experiences. They'll give you the good, the bad, the ugly, and their wish list of everything that they would love to see at their campus. And that's the beauty of it because we want students to give us their feedback to make the community a better place. But we also have to be realistic about where we're at right now. So don't be shy about asking those questions it's all part of the experience. It's all part of the reality of choosing a university. Well, Leticia, thank you so much for coming back and for your insight today. We truly appreciate it. Jua, you're up with the same question. Sure. Um, I would say continue taking advantage of resources like this podcast. Um, I always stress to students and parents that you're not going to know it all. It's not an overnight process. Um, we don't even know it all internally a lot of times, and we're constantly still learning. So how can we expect for you to know everything? That's not how this goes. That's why you start early and you take it as it comes bit by bit. So continue tapping into, let's say, a podcast. Go to a school visit at your high school, even if you don't end up going to that school, but at least going to go through the experience to know what to ask. You may not ask any questions, but at least know maybe what information is being provided by an admissions rep. What are questions maybe being asked by your, your fellow students that you like, hey, I didn't think about that. I'm going to use that in, my, in the next visit. Um, if your school offers a financial aid workshop, go to that. If your school offers a case study program, go learn more about how we review applications. Go to a local college fair. Anything that you all can do as students and families to learn more about the college admissions process do it. We have tapped into, we've talked about a lot of resources. Don't let that overwhelm you. Okay. Again, that's where you have to start early and take your time. All right. But the more that you do this, the more comfortable you will be with this process, the more knowledgeable you will be with all of our lingo and acronyms and different <laughs> types of deadlines and testing and all this various things that we keep talking about, which can be very overwhelming when you first hear it. But the more that you do this, you will become a pro at this and it will not feel overwhelming to you. You will feel, I think a word that Leticia used, you'll be comfortable. You will feel comfortable with this process and being comfortable in this process to me then equates to being empowered. How do you then navigate it to maybe to put your best foot forward to, to apply to all of your respective schools so that when it's time to apply, you're ready to go. You know what you got to do and you're ready to make it happen. And so I think that is so key. So stay in the process, lean into your resource, talk to your counselors, your college advisors. That's why they are there. Tap into all of this, but bit by bit, you will become comfortable with their, your pro this process, and that will then lead to the main point that we've said several times of mental health, giving yourself some grace. Again, you will not learn all this overnight. We're not expecting you to, but the more that you do this again, the better you will feel about this process, and again, and the better that you will navigate it to get to whatever that end destination may be, whether that's one of our nine campuses or whether it's not. All right. So that, that's my advice. <laughs> well, Joe, thank you so much for being here today. Your insights have been truly amazing and we really appreciate you. Michelle, you're up next. 
Great. Uh, thanks, John. So building on uh, Jua's uh, talk about mental health, I think my piece of advice for, um, and this is really focused on parents, is helping your students frame um, not only their expectations, but your expectations and the way um, you either very vocally or maybe um, inadvertently uh, put your preferences out there about which school they attend, which school deserves them to attend. Um, I think especially in some areas that uh, I think we refer to as pressure cooker um, suburbs <laughs> around major cities, um, you know, we'll see students that are super high achieving and everybody is taking eight AP classes and everybody's involved in all of these competitions and students are really stressed out. Um, and I, I think a lot of times we on colleges get told you're putting all this pressure on them. And, and we hear that and I am not debating that topic, but I also think um, school counselors and parents can also, we can all join in the mental health of, of these students. And one is around making sure as you're discussing college as early as, you know, sophomore, junior year, that you're not looking at your local school that maybe has, you know, a 60, 70% admit rate and saying, well, they're not good enough for you. And I hear that a lot. I hear my kid is too good for this school. They deserve to be at this school. Um, I hear a lot of questions around why are you ranked number, you know, nine instead of number one? We only want them at the number one school. Well, what if your kid doesn't get into the number one school? Um, and they got into, you know, what if they, they got into a school that was ranked lower? Rankings are so subjective. There's a lot around them. And we could sit here saying that as some really well-ranked schools, but we know that what's most important is that your student is at a place where they are healthy and happy. And also that when they get into the school that has a 70% acceptance rate, you need to celebrate that as much as if they were admitted into a school with a 4% acceptance rate, because the school with the 70% acceptance rate might actually end up being the better fit for them and they will be more successful there. Um, so really just helping frame that for yourself too. Uh, and I know that's a really hard place uh, to to talk about. And um, because you you have your student who's worked so hard, you feel like you know what they deserve. But the fact is, they may not get admitted into the, some of those more selective schools. And then they may feel like they haven't met your expectations as well. Uh, so that would be my my piece of advice for parents is, is to really help us in watching your students' mental health in the ways you're discussing schools. Um, and also for students to remember you are valuable. You are, you know, have done great work no matter where you end up going to school. You end up at the place that best serves you. And if it's not the right fit, then you might find a place that you transfer to, too. And that's why, you know, that's why people transfer is they find a place that's a better fit and you're in the driver's seat here. Um, so don't let anybody derail you from that. If you really feel like a school is the best fit for you, you know, make sure you're articulating why around that too um, and helping frame your expectations there. Well, Michelle, those are great words of wisdom. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. I truly appreciate it more than you'll ever know. And Jasmine, last question for you. Thank you. So I think I'm going to echo a little bit of what Jua and Michelle said in terms of this is a very stressful process for both parents and students. And I think just remembering to have patience with one another, with yourself and with one another is a really big thing. You know, take it day by day because 
as you're entering that senior year, everything does come quite quickly. All those deadlines kind of pile up. Everything starts happening pretty rapidly. So just remembering that it's only August right now, as long as you schedule out things, have your calendars in line with your deadlines, you're taking it day by day, you are checking off things, you know, at least one thing a day that you're doing towards that ultimate goal of submitting your applications and um, what comes beyond that. That is something that is very important right now to just have that patience because it is a very stressful process. And as parents, just having that understanding of what your student is going through, being supportive, but also giving them that space is really important Um, because I was a student not too long ago, but it it definitely (laughs) feels um, stressful when you have that parent that's, you know, trying to be super helpful, but, you know, sometimes we have to navigate these things on our own as students as well to just, you know, understand where we are in the process. And when we need help, obviously reach out to um, those resources. Like we mentioned, not only parents, but counselors ourselves. That's why we are in this position to help you out, to answer any questions. And if we don't have the answers, we'll happily direct you to the people that can help you best. So again, just going back to patience with yourself and with each other. Well, thank you so much, Jasmine. You were awesome. And I'm so glad that you were on the podcast today. And at this point, I want to take an opportunity to thank all of you, Michelle Burns, Jasmine Toulay, Jua Howard, Ashley Swangler, and of course, Leticia Gray. Thank you so much. Obviously, the UC system is so lucky to have each and every one of you as were we here on the podcast. And I'm so happy as I know that this conversation is going to help so many students and their parents as they navigate through the college admissions process. Just want to wish everyone good luck out there with your college search. Take care, and I look forward to seeing you all soon. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to share that we've teamed up with Dormco to make your dorm decorating a lot easier. Why Dormco? They offer quality and durability, affordability, and a wide selection for bedding to storage solutions and everything in between for your dorm room. So if you or anyone you know is looking to decorate your dorm, see the affiliate partnership link in the show notes for Dormco, your one stop for stylish, affordable, and quality dorm essentials. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast gets a commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. Thank you all and best wishes.